1: Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan.
0: And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they
1: navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy.
0: We have news for you all.
1: Yeah, we are so excited to share that as so many of you have asked for us to host more than just one week-long immersive experience. We are bringing another retreat into the fold this year, and this time we're headed to Nosara, Costa Rica, June 3rd through 10th, yeah?
0: We heard you. We heard you. We're doing more. We're trying. (laughs) This time, though, we're actually bringing in two of our dear friends and colleagues to come along with us and join the party. So we're going to have Ashley Torrent and Millie Murillo there. Um, And honestly, the four of us together – I don't know, our powers combined, drawing from our collective work in the healing modalities of psychotherapy, coaching, mediumship, astrology, somatic movement, group processing, all the things. We'll be supporting you all in reclaiming every aspect of the most fulfilling life you can possibly live
1: it's going to be such a transformational week. I'm so excited already. And if you are interested in learning more, you can go to the link in either of our social bios or head over to Vanessa's website at vanessabennett.com. And we have payment plans available for this one as well.
0: Yeah, definitely hit me up on email if you want to know more about that. We are super excited and we hope to see you all there.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to an episode of Cheaper Than Therapy where Vanessa and I are just going to sit and riff, I think, a little bit. Um, we haven't done one of these in a while. I feel like we've we've just had so many episodes where we've been answering questions, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is similar in that it's something that's been brought up a couple times, maybe out there in the social sphere, but it's not like a direct
1: Question. Someone asked system. us a question. Yeah. I think it's more maybe that some people have been commenting on some of our conversations in the shows or things that we've posted and it seems to be a consistent theme of something that's come up and maybe we wanted to dig a little bit deeper in the exploration. Um, right. You had a comment, I think, that sort of instigated was the catalyst for us thinking "Oh, we should talk about it, right? Yeah.
0: So it was on one of my videos around codependency, which obviously, if you listen to this podcast, you know, we talk about ad nauseum. And <laughs> <laughs> um, without going into the whole thing, it, one of the, the sentences was the idea of co-regulation is not rooted in codependency. By nature, we are interconnected. And by nature, we have the capacity to both self-regulate and co-regulate. We need both to survive, either at the omission of the other is harmful there is no harm in needing or relying on another unless it is at the detriment of relying on oneself and there is no detriment in relying on oneself unless it is at the detriment of being able to rely on another and there's more but I'll I'll stop there so first off i want to say that my response to them was um I don't disagree. I actually never use the word mm. co-regulation in my video, um, so I don't disagree that the idea of co-regulation is not actually intrinsically rooted in codependency, um, and that's why I said I didn't actually use that word. But then you and I were kind of having discussion about it, and as we were discussing that comment, another uh, person in our sphere, right in the wellness sphere, kind of posted something about codependency. Uh, And how, you know, something that Danae and I speak about often in relationships is not actually codependency. And it was just a lot of it just felt very like
1: this is alive. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I think that. Well, let's start with the baseline of what we think of when we speak about codependency. And you correct me. I I sometimes like to give you what I think, because I feel like codependency is so jam. Um, But I think when I think about codependency, I think about like using another person, something external as a way of regulating my internal world, right? So I attempt to control external circumstances, people as an attempt to regulate how I am feeling inside. And um, and when I can't do that, I feel a sense of dysregulation, right?
0: Yeah. And I would even say that codependency by nature is controlling or manipulative. Um, but in the moment too, it could just be simply using another person as a form mm. of regulation. Right. So, um, so if you look at it more from, you know, like when you talk about how, and this has actually been really helpful for me, how you have been able to kind of attach the more anxious energy to codependency and the more avoidant energy to hyperindependence right and mm-hmm. how you and I talk about them being two sides of the same coin mm-hmm. um they might use different terms like they might be called different things but the energy is still the same right it's like i'm not okay uh unless something outside of myself is different or is okay and so there's a there's a using involved right um and it's like i need to use this other person in order to regulate myself just like Somebody else might need to use alcohol to regulate themselves or use drugs or use porn or use social media or whatever the thing is, right? Um, It's the same kind of energy.
1: Yeah. And I think that that is the bold statement that we often speak to that I think can be challenging. I think we have said from our perspective, um, codependency is the most socially acceptable drug of choice that we all sort of indulge in. And I think that to me, the word that comes to the forefront so often is control. It is the attempt to control external circumstances, people, um, in an attempt to feel safe within myself. Now, if we circle back to that comment about co-regulation, it's not that we are, aren't, excuse me, that we aren't all interconnected beings and that we don't need other people in order to thrive and to feel a sense of wholeness. Of course we do. We are all connected. That's like the inevitability of life. But I think the challenge for me, and I want to hear what this brings up for you around some of the narratives around co-regulation is what happens when that person that I am using as a tool, to use your words, Um, to regulate my internal system is no longer there for me to feel that sense of regulation, then what do I do with that? Right.
0: Right. And I also want to add a layer onto this, which is, and this is something that this specific comment referred to, but also I've seen a couple different posts kind of circulating out there too, which really brings this idea of um, the way that you and I speak about codependency is, is somehow linked to hyper-independence, or is somehow linked to mm-hmm. more of a patriarchal, um, and I would even say hyper-independent, like the way that, uh, you know, kind of America's like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do it all by yourself, completely cut off from um, community, right? I've seen a lot of people out there saying, oh, this codependency talk that we're seeing everywhere right now, it's rooted in the kind of capitalistic white supremacist, hyper-independent you know, very masculine approach to life. Like this isn't how we're meant to live. We're meant to live in society. We are interconnected. And so I think there's some interesting kind of, um, I don't know what the word is like. I don't know if it's misconstrued. I don't know if what's, what's being brought up in the kind of conversations you and I are having are reflecting something that is really at will. I know that it's activating something in somebody or in people. <laughs> um, but I, I think what you just said, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because what you just said. I guess is attached to that point that I just made, which is, it is not that we are saying that we are not intrinsically connected, right? Mm -hmm. Babies need humans to survive. Literally, they need just simply love and touch to survive. It's been proven through research, right? Babies will die if they're not actually given love and touch simply, right? Actual love. Um, so no one is saying that as human beings, we don't need that, right? It's been shown time and again, we live longer, we're healthier, right? when We're in loving union with other people. But what Danae and I are trying to kind of break down is the way that we have been taught relationships should look, should feel what they should provide us is not actually love. They are attachment and there is a difference, right? Like to truly be in a loving relationship, you cannot have control and manipulation. Like just by simple nature of definition of love, love does not include control and manipulation. Love does also does not include, I need you to be this. I need you to act a certain way. I need you to show up a certain way. Like that is not love. And so I think that we have somehow conflated or mixed up, I suppose, the the conversations around we need people as beings Versus we need attachments at all costs, even if they are unhealthy and codependent, and so I think there's like some confusion out there in those different uh the different realms I guess of what like relationships and attachment mean, and I'm wondering, I don't know like what comes up for you as i as I attempt to explain that. I don't know if I did that well. <laughs>
1: No, I think you did great. But what I would, you know, add the layer to and what you're saying about control and manipulation is the why that happens, right? Right. Because to your point, as human animals, we have two fundamental needs. One is for those primary um, attachment needs to be met. That's the, the existential anxiety that comes in when we believe as babies we will not survive because we won't. Human animals need other animals in order to survive but we also have the fundamental need to be an autonomous self. Now in American culture, especially, but you know, I would say like our society as a whole has really put more emphasis on the attachment need, right? And that comes from a set of patriarchal values that says there is a structure, there is a container, there is a way that life should be lived in order to keep yourself safe. Mm-hmm. So the reason that we We focus on the primary attachment is because it's survival. And so, you know, if you think about like what our our primal fears are, they are that we will be annihilated, that we will be exiled from the group and that we won't be safe because we won't have people around us to survive. So we need that attachment. But what happens as human animals, when we think that we need something to survive, we will do anything to maintain that survival. That's the survival instinct. We will do anything to maintain that attachment. And what we have found is quite often what that looks like relationally, in order to maintain that attachment, we will act in manipulative ways. We will attempt to control. We will minimize ourselves. We will um, not always act in very loving ways. In an attempt to maintain an attachment. Now, I think because Vanessa and I come from a depth psychology background, some of the ways that we believe our purpose of what we are doing in this human experience is more around the work of coming into a full solid sense of self. Um, Jung talks a lot about the work of individuation at the beginning of our lives. We are really sort of oriented towards the external and the outer world. And then later in life, we come into more of a, a space of individuation where we go more into that internal space and attempt to make meaning. But, you know, I'm saying all this to say, we have sort of, especially um, in like couples therapy orientations, there has been such a focus on attachment that we've sort of been conditioned to believe that is the only way to be in partnership Mm -hmm. is partnerships that are really rooted in attachment. There is another option. And what other cultures sometimes focus on is a more differentiated model, which means it is my work to use this relationship as a mirror to support me in becoming a more differentiated version of self, a more full self. I see what this relationship is showing me, and then I take responsibility for becoming a more whole self and being able to see this person and show up in a more loving, fulfilling relationship container, not I just do whatever I need to do to maintain this attachment at all costs. Do you know what I
0: mean? Right. And I would say, too, that the difference in those two approaches slash ways of looking at relationships. One of the other primary differences is differences is, yeah. If I'm looking at my relationship or the relationship of others in an attachment-based way. Now we're talking between two grown-ups, right? We're not mm-hmm. talking about child attachment. There is a difference. But if I'm looking at the well, I mean yeah, two grown-ups, whether that's romantic, whether that's friend, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm looking at it through an attachment lens only, then it somehow becomes the work of the other person to reparent and and help to fix those attachment wounds, right? So I step in essentially as a as a placeholder to the primary attachment figure that um I'm saying caused with air quotes, because obviously we know for the, it's not like it's purposeful, but essentially caused air quotes, those attachment wounds to begin with, right? And so now I become the placeholder for that wounding person, right? Mm. And then it becomes my job to somehow help to fix or heal those attachment wounds. And so much of what today and I speak out against is that is not the actual job slash role of a romantic partner at all, right? It is not their job to fix or to soothe or to heal your attachment wounds, right? And the second we get into that space, we lose eroticism. This is what a lot of times this is what Astaire, Astaire Perel talks about, right? It's like you can't have it both ways. You cannot have the expectation that someone is going to reparent you and also that there is going to be continual continual sexual drive and sexual longing for the other person. We do not intrinsically want to have sex with our offspring or our parents, right? So the second a parental role comes into play, you're going to lose eroticism. Now in saying that, it's not to say that occasionally we don't provide a mirror. Occasionally we don't provide a healing experience for our partner. Of course we do. Of course. I mean, that is like you said, I mean, it's me holding the mirror. Like that is one of the greatest, um, I think one of the greatest benefits to love is that we get to heal in relationship with another person. We get the opportunity to have a mirror held up to us and for us to get to see ourselves in this different kind of way so that I can then lean into my own healing, right? Not as a way to say, oh, this person's going to heal me. But for me to say, oh, wow, I didn't see that in that way. I get to now experience healing because I get to lean into healing. So I just think there's a lot of like, I don't know if it's confusion or just like not understanding maybe the difference between the more attachment way of seeing relationships versus this more um, individuated approach to seeing relationships.
1: Well, because if you think about what attachment is, if we think about it from the infantilized way that we are conditioned to hold attachment based relationships should be in. Yes. I I mean that quite um, intentionally Mm -hmm. think about the ways that our children attach to us. They are not interested in what they can give us. I mean, yes, they'll be like, mommy, I love you, but it's very like, you give me what I need. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is the role of a caretaker. And quite often that is what we have been conditioned to believe our romantic relationships into adulthood should look like now to your point. I think when we take um responsibility for really showing up and you know <laughs> looking at our relationships through our adult lens inevitably it creates healing for both people when I you know because if I'm tending to myself and what is being activated within me I'm actually able to be present with you and see you as a person versus attempting to take right it's yes. very much like To me, the differentiated model is much more based on love that is focused on what I can give versus love that is focused on what I am meant to get, right? Now, Mm. I think to me, one of the biggest issues with the more attachment-based model is what you, well, two things, what you just spoke to in terms of it becomes such a continuous perpetuation of the rejection of the feminine because the feminine is the sensuality. The feminine is the aliveness and the erotic and the life force. And we as a society have really decided, oh, that shouldn't matter. You just should have a secure attachment. That's all should matter, right? And which is why, what is the number one thing people come to us with couples therapy being the presenting issue is, we don't want to have sex. Mm -hmm. Of course you don't, because Mm -hmm. you have decided that all that should matter is that you have a secure attachment and I can have a secure attachment, but that is going to be at the denigration of our life force, of our aliveness, of our sensuality. right? But the other thing is that so often I feel like this is the perpetuation of women being in a really maternalized role. Meaning I don't feel like this is something that becomes as much of a struggle um, for like men being, I mean, yeah. Like, even as I say that I'm like taking it back, like, I do think it's both people that are, um, in parentified Parentified, roles, but it's often also parentified Mm -hmm. roles. Yeah. But I often think it's also like almost like sibling roles. Like when we feel that like we are entitled to love from someone else, because like all that should matter is just that we stay attached no matter what. We start acting in these really enmeshed ways that we mm. do in our family of origin, where I don't even see this person as separate from me anymore. I just get to treat them however I want. Yes. And V, I I know I'm like preaching to the choir, but like the extent to which we see this, we talk to each other in our like romantic relationships as adults, like we would not talk to anyone, know, and know. it's just allowed. And it's like the reason we do this is because we feel like they are ours. Yeah, we have this like attachment, and they've made a promise. You've made a
0: promise, and so that up that's that goes about everything else. And so I can treat you now like I want to treat you no matter what that looks like. And I can be my worst version of myself, and you have to love it and you have to stick with it. And I you know, I made a post a long time ago, and I think I would change the wording to it a little bit now, but I made a post a long time ago around this concept that I believe that adult love is actually conditional, more to just say because mm-hmm. everybody's like, Oh, love is unconditional, love is unconditional. I'm like, well. But here's the thing: if I'm in an, if I'm in in a relationship where I'm looking at it as my ability to become my most differentiated self, right? No, it's not conditional. You don't get to be the worst version of yourself all the time, and I have to just tolerate it because I've made some kind of promise. That is not love. If you are not in the best version of yourself, and now listen, we all have shitty days. I'm not saying that. That the reality is, I'm not at my best version of myself all the time. Let's be real. You know, we're human. But if my reality is more often than not, I'm showing up my worst version of myself. I'm saving that for you, my partner. (laughs) Fuck that. Like, I don't need to be here. I don't need to stick around and be in a relationship with somebody who only gives me their worst version and gives everybody else their best version. No. You know who has to stick around when somebody gives you their worst version? Your parents. I'm not your parent. I don't have to stick around when all you show me is the worst version of yourself. I'm sorry. Yeah, I may have made a promise to you, but that does not mean that you are entitled to me sick, sitting around and taking it. Right. And I, I just want to say one more thing because I wrote this down while you were talking because I just had a little bit of like a, I don't know if it's an aha, but I just kind of something <laughs> clicked in my head when you were talking. I was thinking about this idea, and this is kind of a tangent. So we won't go too far on this, but I was thinking about this idea of how often, you know, as therapists, we talk about, um, you know, like your friends are not your therapist. Your your family mm-hmm. members are not your therapist. Your partner is not your therapist, right? And the, what made me think about this is when you were talking about um, the getting versus giving in love, right? Like real mm-hmm. love is not about what I can get. Real love is about what I can give. When I am acting mm-hmm. out of that place of true love, which is what am I able to give to this person? That's when I'm able to be a true, compassionate, holding space compassionate witness. Like I'm able to witness you and hold you with reverence and I'm not there to get anything from you. And the reason why I think so often therapists and therapy is so different than like a romantic partner or your friend or your parent, if they are acting from a space of what can I get, or they're acting from that very kind of control-based attachment kind of laced place, they are not actually going to be able to provide you a true safe space because no matter what underlying, there's something going on. There's some kind of control manipulation. I want you to be okay at all costs because I'm not okay if you're not okay. So I'm going to try to fix it or I'm going to try to manipulate you to act this way because I think that's what's best for you, right? That's not actually holding space. That's not Mm -hmm. this idea. And the reason why I thought of this is because so often... I hear from people, yeah, but what does that mean? How do I find somebody that will hold space? You always use this term holding space. What does that mean? What does that mean? And I think it's that. I think it's like we can't actually provide that true uh, safe space for somebody so long as there's any kind of underlying control or what am I getting from this? The only time we're able to provide that is if it's truly from a space of give, right? I am giving from love only. And my only job in this moment is to just see you and provide love and space. So I don't know, there was something in that that just clicked for me where I thought that's, that feels a little bit like the difference why when you go to a therapist, it's a lot different than when you go to your parent Mm -hmm. or your sister or your friend, because no matter what, there's that underlying, well, not no matter what, but in a lot of undifferentiated relationships, there's that underlying kind of take control, get right. All those words I just used.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, underneath what you're saying to me is The question then becomes So, how do I get there? Right? Like you said, like, how do I get someone to hold space for me? And I would say your work is to learn to do that for yourself Mm. and then surrender and trust that you will attract people that are in that same vibrational frequency with you. Meaning, I believe when we're talking about attachment, our primary attachment should be to source, to the divine. And that is the highest self within me. That is where I should go to replenish, to find safety, to surrender. That should be my primary attachment. And then from that space of finding that solid essence within myself, and it's not a state of arrival, that's a a place we continue to return to that knowing, then I am actually able to be in right relationship with Those around me, but we are such an externally focused society. I get my sense of safety outside of me. I get my sense of belonging outside of me. I get my sense of trust outside of me that we have really not learned to cultivate um, a solid relationship with that sense of self. And I think that to me is the returning of the feminine is that, you know, the feminine fundamentally at its core is source, is, you know, it's the energy of the soul. And so we have just been a society that has completely minimized that and made that like not relevant. And we should be able to, through technology and through our ability to control and through our logic, be able to do and control everything. It's not real. And I think that it is just often making us act in some ways that are really out of alignment with the truth of who we are, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I I think that. This is just a really radical shift in the way that we as a society have looked at relationships. I think it requires, this shift requires a lot of personal responsibility and personal accountability. I think that's really hard yes. for most people. This shift <laughs> requires you standing in your own truth and being afraid right? It requires you to kind of go into the darkness. It requires you Mm -hmm. to face your fears. It requires you to have to really surrender to the idea that like, I've got me and I can't continue to live my life expecting everybody or everything outside of myself to be the thing or the person that's got me. And there's a lot of fear around that, right? Um, And also Mm -hmm. I would say as a society it's really interesting. Like we, as a, at least American culture, you know, it is this like rugged individualism and yet we're also pretty infantilized. It's kind of an interesting dichotomy. It's like, on one hand, we're forced by this idea of rugged individualism, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. And on the other hand, we're actually very much made to believe that, um, there is something above us or outside of us that is going to tell us what to do, how to live, who to love, right? what is right, what is wrong. I mean, this is a lot of the patriarchal religious structures. It's like I am the one that knows and you are just the one that needs to listen and have faith that what I'm saying is the is the absolute truth, right? And so, I don't know how those two can live actually together. Can I,
1: <laughs> can I touch on that just real quick for a second because I think that that is like it's a very pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and yet it is some external source telling me what is true, right? It's do, still, right? yeah, but it's still like I am a victim of external circumstances when things are not going my way, versus I am the creator of my own experience and I am a victim of nothing. That is a very different paradigm, actually, than what we are raised with. And so I think when we say things like I got me or like it's personal responsibility. People hear hyper um, like individualism, individualism, which yeah. for my perspective has been what we've been operating in this whole time, but it's been very like, I don't have me. I have the paradigm, the prescription that I've been fed that has me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, patriarchy has me mm-hmm. capitalism has me that is where i draw my sense of self it's not from an internal place mm-hmm. not really you know and if you're
0: not living from that space then you live you are actually in fact living from the state of victimhood because we're all walking around just reacting to whatever is done to us whatever is given to That's us right. right whatever is handed to us and so it isn't about personal responsibility and accountability at all But I think that that's by design. I mean, I would imagine that that, that in and of itself is completely by design, right? Like let's let them believe that they are actually responsible for their own, you know, journey. But actually what's happening is we're, we're also feeding them this idea that they're nothing without us. Right. Absolutely. They can't do anything without us. And like I say, us could mean any patriarchal structure above, whether that's the patriarchal religious structure, whether that's our patriarchal political system. You know, there, there's so many structures that we're talking we could talk about. Um, but it's it's done by design, you know. Don't God forbid we let people actually step into their own power. And take personal accountability and personal responsibility and truly say, I've got me. Because if they get to that space, then they're not going to need the stuff. They're not going to need the political system. They're not going to need, you know, the the religious pulpit telling them what to believe and what not to believe, because they will know and believe what they know and believe in themselves. Right. And so I think when Danae and I have these conversations, I mean listening, it's like we are really trying to get at actually the core of a lot of these patriarchal structures and so to the person that said like oh actually that is the the kind of patriarchal you know hyper individualistic cultures way of talking about codependency i would say i highly disagree highly disagree um i would say that actually what we're doing is challenging just that um yeah
1: yeah i got me is not hyper individualism it is I tend to me so that I can love you, yes. so that I don't need to take from you, so that I don't use you as a means to an end. That's mm-hmm. the paradigm we've been living in, and that is not love. That's that not is love. the antithesis of love from my perspective. Mm-hmm. So I got me so that I don't have to use you as an energetic source of you know something that I'm being fed. I actually am in relationship with you in your essence.
0: Right. So if you're in your relationship and you're acting out of a place of need not as like a i what what can i offer how can i be of service in my act of love but it is like what what can this person give me you know i need this from them in order to be okay ask yourself how is it possible where can i find the time and the space and the energy to really sit with this idea of how can i give me what it is that I feel I can only get from other people. I can only get from things, from booze, from you know buying stuff, whatever that is. Um, nice. Because really this healing that today and I talk about has to start with, no, you don't. Challenge what you've been force-fed to believe. No, you don't. We are not saying we don't need other people. It's not what we're saying. What we're saying is we don't need to live in this patriarchal capitalistic society that tells us that we are not okay unless we're grasping for other things, right? And I do believe there's a very big difference.
1: Couldn't agree more.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode
1: of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And
0: if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Right at home.
1: Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma,
0: we have something to celebrate every mom in your life.